Welcome to this episode of the Network Marketing Heroes Podcast, hosted by 38-year network marketing veteran, author of best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, and world-renowned speaker, Richard Blissbrook. Stay tuned after this episode for an exclusive discount code to get 10% off Richard's tools on blissbusiness.com. We have an extraordinary opportunity tonight an extraordinary story, somebody that really epitomizes building a four-year career, and we caught her a little bit late because she's five and a half years into it, but it's still going to be a stellar story. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Romy Neustad, tonight. She's been in Rodan and Fields for five and a half years. She comes to network marketing as a first-timer, no prior experience ever before getting involved in Rodan and Fields five and a half years ago. She is a lawyer by training and also a public relations consultant to public figures and large corporations. Her husband is a naturopathic doctor. And they have both leveraged this Rodan and Fields career to be full-time. Both of them have given up their, uh, as Romy calls it, their billable hours career, where uh, you basically nothing but linear income. If you're not doing the work, you're not getting paid in the moment. And uh, they're both in different roles but compatible, and uh, I'm going to have her talk about that a little bit tonight, how they work together. Um, but they're both building this extraordinary business. And I, I met Romy about, I think, a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago. Maybe we shared the stage at a Sonia Stringer along with uh, Kimmy Everett at that time uh, at a women's empowerment event. And I was struck with her uh, poise and her power and her confidence combined with a wicked sense of humor, which is a really potent package, and I'm sure it lends itself to the success that she's had in building an empire in network marketing. She's just charismatic, and she just inspires in people confidence and vision and motivation and peace and power, and she has a lot of fun along the way doing it. So let me introduce you to the impeccable leadership role model, Romy Newstead. Romy, are you here? Because if you're not, we've got a problem. <laughs> I'm not only here, I'm absolutely blown away, Richard, by that uh, introduction. Apparently, you are my PR consultant. So. Well, you know, that's recorded, so you can... <laughs> You can, if you want, I'll transcribe it and send it to you, and you can put it up on your vision board or something, or have John read it to you every morning before you get out of bed. Perfect. I would absolutely love that. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Happy New Year. It's great to be on. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Out San Diego. You're, you and John live in San Diego, or actually just north, don't you? Where do you live? It's it's considered San Diego proper. It's yeah, it's closer to North County. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, the folks who know my story know that I started this business in the thriving metropolis of Bozeman, Montana, where this winter it has been 18 below. So we are thrilled that this allowed us to relocate to a place where we get cold 
when it's 65. Yes. Kimmy yeah. and I were just in Honolulu, and they just like California, we had a cold snap. <laughs> and it was like 67 degrees in Honolulu, and everybody's wearing their Uggs to the beach. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, Romy, let's dive into it. Uh, tell these people your story, and what I want to have you focus on is the following. What I want you to tell people is, uh, you and John were in Bozeman. What were you doing in Bozeman? And who initially contacted you about network marketing, about Rodan and Fields? How did you know them? So what was your relationship to them? What did they do for a living? Were they local to Bozeman? So I want you to presence the relationship that your sponsor had with you. And in this, to the best of your recollection, what did they say to you initially that piqued your interest, and why did that pique your interest? Got all that? I got it. I got it. I think I think I've got this. All right. So I'm going to take you back to just under five and a half years ago. All right. I had been a lawyer, a litigator, hated it, then went into PR and marketing, did Big Shot PR in, in New York and Seattle. Um, my husband, John, yes, I married a doctor. Uh, we had moved back to Bozeman, Montana. I'm a Montana girl. Because, Richard, we thought that surely in a place like Bozeman, a two-professional household could not only give their kids a leave-it-to-beaver-like existence, but we could really get ahead financially. So off we went. So around the time that I was about to hear of Rodan and Fields, John had a thriving medical practice, and I had gone out on my own as a PR consultant. I decided once I started popping out kids, I didn't want somebody else telling me what clients I had to take, when I had to work. I wanted to try and have the elusive balance, and I thought, man, this will be the ticket. Okay, so I have a a three-and-a-half-year-old, a six-month-old, and I've got a stable of PR clients. But one night, as I'm doing bills at the dining room table, and John has our, our youngest, Bibi, the baby, in uh, the, the baby Bjorn, bouncing her, in the kitchen, I look at him and I say, okay, babe, we're, we're supposedly doing all the right stuff. We're getting by, but we're not getting ahead. We weren't able to sock it away for college or retirement or all the things that we really dreamed of, like travel and, frankly, time freedom. So I was looking for a way out of this fee-for-service model, but I had no idea what it was going to be. Then I get referred to a piece of PR business, my sister's best friend in the world who lives in South Carolina, had a friend who had a jewelry company, Susie Sheftel. And she told Susie, all right, you want to take your jewelry national? you got to talk to Romy because she knows how to do it. So Susie hires me to take her jewelry national. Turns out she's fully funding this jewelry business because of her side gig. I said, Susie, what's your side gig? She said, well, I'm now working with the doctors who created Proactive. And what they did for acne, they're now doing for aging skin and sun damage. And I 
was immediately intrigued. Don't forget, Richard, I was a marketer for all those years. My marketing brain went crazy. What got me to sit up and take notice was that this was a global brand, an established global brand. And I thought, huh, you mean I could leverage the resources of a company to start and grow my own business turnkey without having to build an infrastructure, and all i got to do is talk to people? And well, she must she, have told you more about it than that for you to have that whole picture. What did she say about the network marketing model? She said, so what I'm able to do is connect people with these products that actually do what they say they're going to do, and I also get to add people to my team and grow this team of other folks who want to do the same thing, and it multiplies like crazy. And Have that's you ever how heard of network marketing before. You know, I I had heard a little bit about it. I had heard a little bit about direct sales. I had been approached before, uh, even back when I was a lawyer, but I never paid attention, to be honest, Richard. And did you connect what she was telling you about how she was building that business? Did you connect it to? anything like Mary Kay or Amway or Newskin or Shackley or anything like that? Um, I I did not. I did okay. not. Mm-mm. No. So if I could recap what hooked you was the idea of leveraging your marketing savvy with a national brand with, you know, the, the kind of the whole graphic that that we use a lot in network marketing of, you know, you don't have to hire the employees. You don't have to do the R&D. You don't have to do the manufacturing, the warehousing, distribution, the marketing. You get to leverage somebody else doing all that, and you get to create a sales force and create leverage income. Was that the concept that got you? That's correct with one one correction. I didn't see this as a way to leverage my marketing savvy Okay. because I – I understood by just looking at this thing that most of the marketing was already done. What I saw it as a way to leverage my love for connecting with people. Okay, good. So tell us how you got started. What 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 were your moves to get started? Like, um, was there some kind of kit that you could purchase, some kind of training program you went through? Tell us what the first week looked like and the first 90 days looked like right okay so i'm i'm going to be real honest here because you know i jumped into i just jumped into the company about a year and a half after it had moved into the channel and you know it was still a scrappy startup and we didn't really know what the hell we were doing um i i i kind of enrolled myself um i i didn't even pick the best kit that I should have, but I picked a kid, and um, I was given some scripting language, and I just started talking to people. I, I made a list, and I just started talking to whoever I could think of, and I'll be damned if the first person that I called didn't end up being one of the biggest leaders in my organization. <laughs> You had the golden touch. I love it. Uh, you know, let's, I, talk, 
let's talk statistics. How many people did you personally enroll in your first 90 days, roughly? Uh, in the first 90 days, I believe it was 10 or 11. Yeah. And were those primarily customers or business builders? Oh, no, those were all business builders, yeah. Did you clearly have that distinction when you were starting off? Did somebody in your upline, did the company somehow, did you have the distinction between the value of enrolling business builders versus customers? Yeah, and it, it, it was just a matter of you lead with the business, you default to the product, and people will fall where they will fall. Right. Yeah, beautiful. And sometimes when you lead with the product, it's appropriate. And sometimes when you lead with the product, you just take the really long road to getting somebody into the income opportunity. We won't mm -hmm. debate that on this call. I was just curious about that philosophy for you there. Okay, in your first year, um, my stats here say that you personally sponsored 51 people. That's a blistering pace. When they're all business builders, that's over four people a month. How did you do that? So uh, what I did is I, I, I would not rest on any given day if I hadn't reached out to at least three new people a day. And by new, I don't mean new to me. I mean new to this. Okay. Um, you know, if, if I was reaching back to Janie to set up a follow-up call, that didn't count. Right. Um, so I was constantly filling my funnel. I was constantly taking this business with me, so when I would pick up Nate from his swim lesson, it was top of mind so I could insert it into conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just had this mentality that this is going to work. And I talked to everyone with skin. Mm -hmm. So that, that sort of opened it up to everyone. Mm-hmm. In your second year, my statistics say you personally sponsored 40 people. Yep, yep. You've done three things now, Romy, which, um, you know, one of the bad raps that network marketing gets in any company is, well, you know, only, you know, a small percentage of the people ever make it, and especially if we're talking about the level of success that you've created, statistically, it's you know almost insignificant the number of people that join a company and go on to build what you've built. And I see three things that you've done that put you in the top one-tenth of one percent uh, in rarefied air. One, you hit the ground running enrolling business builders as opposed to dabbling uh, taking the slow road, making sure everybody that you talk to you know, absolutely love the product before you tell them anything about the business, which is nothing wrong with that. It's just a, it's a slow approach. And then you personally sponsored over four business builders a month for your first 12 months. And, you know, that right there is an exceptional uh, statistic because what would happen to most people, I would imagine, your, you comment, please, is – you know, once you get 10 or 15 people in the business, you're so thrilled with yourself uh, and you're so addicted to each one of them being successful that what people tend to do is go right into management mode 
and be mother hen and helping everybody and waiting for everybody to get around to it and get their act together. And a year later, they still have 10 or 15 people in their group and nobody's doing anything because they haven't inspired any massive action. What what led you to have the wisdom to keep enrolling? So I asked you how you did it. Now I want to know why you did it in year one. Why did you keep that pace up all the way through the end of the year? So early on in this gig, it became really apparent to me that this was a business of attrition. There were going to be people who came in who were dabblers, joggers, runners. There were going to be people who were coming in, you know, spending money on a, a big business kit and then going MIA. I knew that. Um, I also very early on found that some of the folks just weren't as hungry as I was. <laughs> that's, a, that's a kind way of putting it. <laughs> I mean, that's a, a real determining factor, which we can talk about a little bit yeah. later. But, but I got that right away. And so I knew when I looked at our comp plan and I looked at how badly I wanted John and I to be able to build an exit strategy out of our nice but not dream life, I knew that I had to keep talking until I found enough people that were going to stick and be as hungry as I was and willing to be as resilient and have as much faith. And so that's why I kept going. And I'll be, again, perfectly frank, um, I like to run after carrots. You dangle something in front of me and say, hey, hit it. Well, I'll hit it. And right. and I that first year, you know, I started getting little dribs and drabs of, hey, you could be the top recruiter of the year. And I thought, <laughs> well, what the hell, I'll go for it. <laughs> All right. So you're externally uh, motivated by trivial recognition. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and year two, so there's three things that I've identified. One. You hit the ground running, uh, first 90 days, 10 business builders, and they were business builders. That is hugely significant. That's that's rarefied air. That's great wisdom and discipline and motivation to do that. You follow it with, like, uh, the second win is you personally enroll all the way through the first year. Um, uh, what did I say, 51 people in your first year, all business builders. That's a phenomenal and, but then the trifecta is, even in year two, you don't back off. And you personally sponsored 40 people in year two. So by the end of your first two years, you have 91 people personally sponsored, which is textbook for your career business plan. Personally sponsor 70 to 100 people your first two years or keep personally sponsoring until that thing, until the thing runs away from you. You textbook nailed that. That's a trifecta. I mean, I think we could we could look at hundreds of people that we could look at thousands of people that personally sponsored ten business builders in their first ninety days, but then went into management mode. We could look at hundreds of leaders that personally sponsored fifty people in their first year, but then in their second year they just coasted. They just they just rested on that laurel and coasted. 
your trifecta is very rare, but what I want the listening audience to know is it's rare, but I want you to look at the results it produces, and I also want you to listen to Romy in terms of how doable it is. You know, the the great irony about our profession is everybody that's not involved in our profession, the naysayers, what they like to hang their hat on is that hardly anybody makes the kind of money that we tell people they can make. So our presentation is, you know, you can make all of this money. And their criticism is hardly anybody does. And therefore, they make the assumption that we shouldn't offer it to anyone because hardly anybody does. But what they don't get about us as network marketers is the fact that anyone can. It's not random. It's not the lottery. It's not luck. It's hard work. It's motivation. It's leadership. It's charisma. And if you don't have it, you can actually learn it. It's public speaking. It's it's connecting with people. And if you don't have that ability, you can actually learn it. This isn't random success. Anybody can do this. And the fact that you pulled all three of those together, Romy, is is rare and exceptional and noteworthy and I want everybody to pay attention to that. Year two, you kept that pace up. Did you find in year two that finding prospects was difficult? Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I One thing I started to encounter in year two was people saying to me, the people I would approach, say, well, yeah, you're doing great, but that's because of your PR background or your law background or or, or you just know so many people. And so I found myself having to explain in a way I didn't in year one that, no, this business is a complete meritocracy. It doesn't matter what your professional background is or your business acumen. It's are you willing to be coachable and consistent, and are you hungry enough to do this? So Yeah, and i got to tell you, if you line up 100 occupations for me and I get to pick prospects out of those occupations – Lawyers, lawyers are way down at the bottom to, to for to be naturally inclined to succeed here. Mm-hmm. They're just right. by occupation, they're cynical and they're introverted and they're uh, so yeah. You See, didn't. that's why I didn't last as a lawyer very long. <laughs> Perhaps okay. So I'm going to give people the rest of your stats so they can see how the rest of this story came along. And then what I want you to talk about for year like three, four, and five, Romy, is, okay, you got your car over the hill. You got momentum. Mm -hmm. Um, What was leadership like? What were some of the amazing challenges and disappointments that you had in building this thing out? And, ladies and gentlemen, here's the rest of the stats. By the end of four years, Romy had personally sponsored 135 people. So year three and four definitely tapered off on personal enrollments, which is appropriate. Uh, By the end of five and a half years, so in her total career now, she's personally sponsored 187 people, which is phenomenal given how successful she and John are that they continue to sponsor. And I'm going to ask you, Romy, to speak to that philosophy. And then uh, I want you, ladies and gentlemen, to see the rest of what's happened now after five and a half years. Out of that total enrollment effort, 
they have four leadership legs, three that are huge and four that's coming on strong, a fourth that is coming on strong, with over 30,000 people in their organization, most of whom are active, and getting paid on over $2 million a month in business, a lot more business than that created, but that's what they're getting paid on so far. And we don't talk about income here, but you can figure that out. That's a king's and queen's ransom residual income every year, which provides a relatively unlimited degree of financial freedom given you can do practically anything you want, and you're just getting started. So tell us about year three, four, and five. Tell us about leadership. Tell us about continuing to sponsor. Tell us about disappointments, catastrophes, heart-wrenching disappointments? Okay, so it was real clear to me around the three-year mark that um, as as our team started to really grow and real leadership emerged, you know, my job was to make myself more and more irrelevant, um, meaning that it it can't be the Romy show, and I can't try and do everything for folks because I'm enabling them to avoid stepping into their greatness. So I started um, really working toward highlighting and showcasing other folks on the team and being a resource, um, but but really asking them to step up, and they did. Uh, you know, I, I'm so lucky that I have this this team and now John with me that is filled with people who are things that we did. Um, What did did you ask people to do that was an unreasonable request that they stepped up and did? So so I, I would put them in front of the room. I would, instead of just answering their questions straight out about what should I do, Romy, I would start asking them, what do you think you should do? Um, and and most importantly, uh, frankly, I stopped being at their beck and call, which I think is very important, and I think that's how people start getting trapped into management mode, thinking you have to do everything and be there constantly and be the one in front of the room for your people. Your job is, and this is where the keys to leadership come in that I've found, you have to be the leader you want to see. So if I was going to ask my people to recruit like crazy and to work with the willing and love the rest, then I had to do those very things myself. I had to grow and stretch and keep recruiting and keep elevating leaders, and, and then they duplicate. And that's what three years three and four were really all about. And what about disappointments? So some of the disappointments that, that still to this day happen is when, I don't know if anybody listening can relate to this, but man, you just enroll somebody that that's so amazing on paper, right? And you just know they are going to be so great. 
and you, you know, do that happy dance when they enroll and you train them and then they don't do squat. And for the life of you, you can't figure out why they don't see what you see. Um, the big disappointments with that were when I was younger in this profession, I either thought it was something I wasn't doing or wasn't saying the right way um, or, uh, you know, it just there was something missing on my end. But as I got more experience, I learned that we can't motivate anybody. That's got to come from within them. Uh, so that that was a disappointment that now actually is a gift because, and I teach this to my team all the time, you cannot spend your time on the folks who don't want this. There's nothing you can magically say that's going to one day ignite in them this reason why, a why big enough to actually get them to do this. Now, the other disappointment is that, okay, you build this team, and in, in our comp plan, you know, you, you want to build out these, these leaders that are a level five. That's the title. And they're cooking. They're really starting to cook. That's like the gateway to the good stuff. All right, so you think when you got these level fives, you're golden. But what I learned was just because somebody starts hitting the good stuff doesn't mean they're going to stay there. I've had rising stars fall in love with an ER doc and get married, and Kaputsky goes their business. I've had another um, level five who um, was just doing the business to avoid a husband that she ended up divorcing, and then she didn't have a reason why for doing the business. <laughs> so, so just because, you know, you're running with people and they reach the, the base camp of the summit doesn't mean they're going to stay there, which is why, Richard, in – in two, three, and four years, we still kept recruiting because you have Art. to. Right. And no matter what you tell people and how you tell them and, and how many ways you tell them what they should do or how to do it or why to do it, that just 99% of the time falls on deaf ears. And the only thing that gets people's attention is if the leader quits paying quite so much attention to all the people that are asking for attention and is back out recruiting, that gets people's attention. And it also sets the stage and provides the role model for what everybody needs to do. You know, I know you, like me, Romy, we look forward to the day when <clears throat> we craft this profession in such a way, whether it's from a technology standpoint or a compensation standpoint or a PR standpoint, um, such that you don't have to personally sponsor 100 people to get four or five superstars. Most people you enroll in the business actually have some success and stick with it. But, you know, the fact is this is a very entrepreneurial enterprise, and – it's it's the epitome of testing people's self-esteem and their self-motivation because what they've what they're charged with doing is going out into their network and putting their reputation on the line and asking people to buy a product or get involved in a what for most people is a very questionable business opportunity 
it takes a lot of leadership and the vision and motivation to sustain the conviction to keep that effort going. And, you know, it's to be expected that most people aren't up for it. Most people are up for, yeah, I want to make an extra $5,000 a month. And, yeah, this meeting was excited. Sign me up. Most people are up for that, but they're not up to sustaining that level of self-motivation, you know, past three weeks. One of the words that I hear you use a lot in your training is resiliency and how important that is. Would you speak to that? Absolutely. This business, in order to be successful, requires us to become, if we're not already, resilient. We are going to get no's. I have gotten so many no's. But I I coach my folks, go get the no's. You want them. They are not saying no to you personally. They are saying no to this business or these products just right now. But I think so many people take it personally and they let it deflate them. I think so many people also take it personally when they bring on folks who end up doing nothing or prospects that don't return their phone calls. But if we all do the personal development required to bolster up our resiliency and understand that no means not right now, then folks will keep going. You know, for me, I, I will admit I had a... A, a bit of a leg up in this area because in PR, my job was to get my clients in the media. So I would hear no all the time from editors and producers, and they didn't want what I was selling, which was my client's story. But I didn't take it personally. And so I brought that to this business. And so part of our job, I think, in getting newbies started is to tell them at the beginning, you're going to get no's, and you want them, because the no's are going to get you to the yeses. Yeah, and um, one of the things that I love teaching people is if is if they'll take care of the no's, if they'll respect them and honor them, not argue with them, not leaving, leaving them feeling like career-wise or financial planning-wise they're doing something wrong, if they'll just allow people to be where they're at in life, and find the people who are ready, and the ones who aren't ready, um, take good care of them and take yeah. care of that relationship. And, you know, I should be able to go to that person and interview them after you've talked to them and, uh, and they said no to you. And I should be able to ask them, so, you know, what did you think about that conversation that Romy had with you about that opportunity? What I should hear is, you know what, I guess she's really passionate about it. It sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like it's really powerful, and I'm just not in a place where I can I can embrace it right now. And as opposed to them saying, you know, they, you know, she was pushy, you know, she, you know, she overpromised, you know, there's a lot of hype involved in that. I didn't trust that conversation. That whole thing didn't feel good. I felt like somebody made me wrong. If we'll take care of the nos, if we'll cherish those relationships and nurture them. The no's become the best prospect list you have in year two and three because they've already experienced you. And if they experience you in a way that empowers them and inspires them, 
then some of them are going to be ready because life changes. You know, marriages change, jobs change, the economy changes, kids change, everything changes. And people are ready for more money and fun and adventure and stellar products. They just might not be ready today. That's right. You never know what's going to change in their lives. We've had people join the team who said no, who didn't even return phone calls or direct messages. And the other part of this, Richard, that's so important is that if you are talking to enough people, you are not going to be so attached to the outcome of any single person's answer. The reason why I believe people get so so deflated, in part because of the nose, is because they don't have enough people that they're talking to. So if, God forbid, this person doesn't say yes, who are they going to bring in this month? So uh, changing gears, you have a unique situation in that both you and John are now full-time in the business, and I imagine there's a lot of people that are curious about How do you do that? How do you make that work? What's the role you have and what's the role he has? And how do you make that beautiful and harmonious? Or is it sometimes not? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know if he's listening. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, So so about a year and a half ago, um, John, who was – let me back up. John was able to retire from clinical medicine about two and a half years into – uh, my Rodan and Fields business. And he didn't love it anymore, so that was really wonderful. So then he put all of his professional emphasis on building a, a dietary supplement company he has uh, outside of this channel. And um, that started to just kind of, you know, cook really well without a ton of time. And so about a year and a half ago, he came to me and said, you know, look, I could go back into clinical medicine. I've got more time on my hands, but I really don't want to. And I'm looking at what you're doing, and I think I could have even greater impact on people all over the country and soon all over the world than I ever could with the handful of folks that will walk into a medical office every day. And plus, I want to work with my best friend. Will you have me? Um, and, and I was just overjoyed absolutely overjoyed. Now, Richard, ever since I started this gig, John has been my biggest cheerleader. I've been really lucky that I've had a husband who understood that this was something really cool, and he was always going to do whatever it took so that I could build this, so that I could see it through. And if it meant putting the kids to bed a couple nights a week, um, you know, doing dinner alone so that I could be in an event once a week. Uh, He was willing to do that. But when he moved into the business side of this, as opposed to the supportive spouse side, um, it took us a little bit of time to figure out what the best fit for him would be. You know, he was joining one consultancy in our company. You can't stack a husband and wife. So it was an established top consultancy, um, and, and he was joining as a newbie. So, so it, was, it was an interesting onboarding process, but we have really figured out where his um, skills and personality and love for people serve it best. So here's what John does. 
um, he loves numbers. He loves analyzing numbers and forecasts and all of that. So he does that. I don't love numbers. Um, he is amazing coaching folks that have been with us for a while who have heard everything I've had to say and maybe, I don't know if you could imagine this, Richard, but, you know, sometimes I can be a little bit of a hard ass, right? Like, <laughs> intense. Passionate. Intense, yes, yes. And and John, while incredibly bright and driven, he's a little bit more mellow. Mm-hmm. And so it's a wonderful new voice for folks on the team. Now, we have more and more men joining our company. And so John does a lot of three-way calls. We get, you know, male newbies in. He trains them. He he can see stuff from a male perspective, you know, uniquely well. Um, and he is he is such a trusted advisor and sounding board for me. And I, I cannot tell you how extraordinary it has been in the last year and a half to be able to turn to my best friend and partner in everything and ask him very important things about this business and for him to be able to answer as my business partner and give such superb counsel. So we are having an absolute blast. Yeah, that's remarkable. That's, uh, I imagine, um, you know, the two of you keeping notes about that and forming some dialogue about that, whether it's a book or articles or a podcast or just occasional training, would be immensely valuable to the profession because although there's there's very few husband and wife, you know, top leaders, um, there's probably quite a few people who are aspiring to that. And that would be really great counsel for them to to be able to go to school on what you've successfully done there. Okay, switching gears again. Uh, next question is, and maybe you don't have anything, so I'm going to ask you to dig deep if you don't think you have anything. Okay. Um, what is the most expensive, and I don't necessarily mean financially, could be, uh, Integrity-wise, could be credibility, could be relationships, could be your reputation, could be your income, could be your health, could be anything. Okay. What is the most expensive mistake you've made in the last five and a half years? That is a phenomenal question, and it takes me no time at all to come up with the answer. Any of us doesn't matter if you're a huge success in network marketing. It's just a matter of being a human being. What is our most valuable asset? Time. So the most expensive mistakes I have made revolve around wasting time where I shouldn't have been, whether it's working with people that I was having to chase down, um, trying to get them to work with me whether it was not scheduling defined enough hours of operation so that uh, when I was done, I was done, and I was fully present with my kids. 
Um, and, and I think this business can be so all-encompassing, especially for those of us who love it so much and who love serving our teams so much that not setting boundaries uh, that were clear enough early enough was very costly to me. But the bright side is, is that I get to share all that I've learned from my mistakes for others. So hopefully other people can, can, uh, can benefit from it and not make the same mistakes for as long as I did. Okay. Um, so just drill down on that for a second and give people something specific, like what's a specific area that you got out of bounds and what specifically did it cost you? Okay, so we do in our system, we are just devoted, culturally devoted to the three-way call, the conference call, to close mm-hmm. folks. And um, I would have so many open time slots for team members to choose from. And if their prospects or, or a consultant couldn't fit in one of those spots, I would open up another time on my calendar that was otherwise uh, earmarked for the kids, or for John, for that matter. And so what happened was is these times that I was, you know, I was, I was building this step balance, right? So these times that should have been sacrosanct for these other parts of my life no longer were. But here's what I've learned, and everybody remember this. If you set your defined hours, in this example, it's for three-way calls. If you set them and it doesn't work for somebody on any given day or the next day, if they have to wait two days to do that three-way call, if they are the right person, they will still come in. Yeah. Your hours so that you remain uh, invested in all parts of your life. Right. Whole and powerful. Uh, okay, flipping the question. Uh, this may be easier, maybe not. Uh, what is the uh, smartest thing you ever did that produced success, maybe not necessarily financially, but um, and give me something different than the flip side of managing your time and your boundaries. What is right. the most profitable decision? or courageous event, or philosophy, or habit you employed? I got two things for you. I hope you don't mind. No, I don't. Um, the, the, the most important thing is that starting with that very first phone call to Nicole Cormany, God lover, who is such a important part of our lives and our team, all the way to today, the most important thing is I continue to stretch myself and get uncomfortable and risk failure and just try and be more for my team, for our personal volume, and that has bled over into all parts of my life. And I never stopped doing that. So could you be more specific about that? Give people an example of 
of a time that you did that, and what exactly did you do? Mm -hmm. So early on, it was calling chicken listers. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, I I always figured, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? Really, what's the worst? And that was my mindset. So that was early on. Uh, The first time I got up in front of the room, I have to admit to you, I didn't know what the hell I was going to say, but I did it, and I didn't die, and people were engaged, and I it got better and better. Um, the other flip side of that, Richard, is sitting my ass down and letting somebody else get to the front of the room, even though it was uncomfortable and scared me because I wasn't controlling all the content. I imagine that was a lot scarier than you getting up there. Yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> I got to tell you a quick chicken list story. So, Kimmy and I are in Honolulu last week, and we do this uh, first time I've ever done it—a generic four-year career day event. And there's a lady there. Um, there's a couple hundred people there, 100, 170 people there, and uh, a couple of big organizations. And one of the ladies that was there that had maybe, uh, I I don't know how many, but a big chunk of the room in her group in a different company was on Kimmy's chicken list for the company when Kimmy was building her organization in LifeMax, you know, four or five years ago, which she built a huge organization. But this is a lady she was afraid to call during that four-year run with LifeMax. And the lady's in the room with a big group, and she's in Perium. I'll be damned. Yep. <laughs> had at least uh, of those stories. Please. I love those stories. I love those stories. Okay, as we wrap this up, um, Romy, I have one final question for you. But before I ask you that question, I'm gonna. Uh, this is where you get to go freestyle. So, in freestyle, uh, you take a couple minutes, and I just imagine you have a subject or two that you feel passionately you want to get on record with everybody in every country, in every company that's listening, you want to get on record as having shared with them a philosophy, an idea, a habit, uh, a belief. This is your time. Talk about whatever you want to talk about. Then I'm going to ask you one final question. So without a doubt, this profession can pay extraordinarily well. The bling, the trips, if your company gives you a free car, all of it. And that's fun. And it can change your life. But the greatest part of this gig for me, and frankly, it was unexpected, was how profoundly fulfilling it can be to help people actually design the lives they really want. Because we aren't just the connectors to great products. We are the folks who can connect folks to what could be, to limitless possibilities. And that is professional satisfaction that I never had in law, or in PR. But in order to fully experience that, you've got to be willing to take risks, to put yourself out there, to get vulnerable, 
And as you start to grow a team, you have to understand that you are there to serve. You're not there to be a doormat. You're not there to wake the dead. You are there to serve and inspire the people who have come to play and see what you see. And you don't have to have my background. You don't have to sound like me. You don't have to be as comfortable in front of people as I am. You just have to be brave enough to do it and brave enough to believe that you're worthy of it. This business has created for John and I the ability to be part of a culture of doing well by doing good, of paying it forward in a a way that, that frankly, I never thought was going to be possible. And I'm so excited because our kids, Nate and Bebe, six and nine, they're growing up in a home where their parents are not only able to design their life, but also to, in their small way, make the world a better place. And we have thousands of people on our team doing the same thing. And there are millions of people in this profession all over the world doing the same thing. What an extraordinary world our kids will get to grow up in if more of us seize this opportunity and do just that. Beautiful. Is that it? Yeah, for now. Okay. My final question. Um... I imagine you you at least talked to John about this, if not some of your inner circle. But I'm curious if you would be willing to share it with the entire group. What is the Newstad family up to in network marketing, in Rodan and Fields, and in life in the next five to ten years? Ooh. What are you building? What's, um, what's the legacy vision? What's mm-hmm. the... What's the contribution? How are you going to turn this remarkable story into shaking up the world? What are you going to do? So John and I, of course, will keep building our Rodan and Fields team. We love serving these just incredible people. And we love the products. We love our company. Um, we're madly in love with the doctors. Um, they're, when I think about I mean, so, a lot of you listening already are in global companies. I mean, we're just next month just dipping our toe in to the global community with Canada. And so the the possibilities are so exciting to us. You know, John and I see us taking Nate and Bibi to Asia to – you know, grow over there and give our kids this international view uh, of the world. And and there's there's just no limit to where we can go with that. So, so that has us wildly excited. Um, John and I are also focused on educating more and more people that it is possible to design a life with more time, more money, more purpose, more possibilities. We want to help as many people as we can discover that it's possible to have your cake and eat it too. And so um, we look forward to sharing our wisdom, um, 
our successes, our failures, our challenges uh, with the, the greater profession in a, in a more substantial way in the years to come. And we love working together. We love, we love speaking. We love helping people get to be a better version of themselves. If we can just, we can just have a little part in that of being maybe a change agent or a catalyst for greater strides, uh, that's a fulfilling, fulfilling professional endeavor. And we will continue to absolutely enjoy our greatest jobs and the ones that we are most proud of, which is parents to Nate and Bibi. Um, what a gift to be able to watch these incredible little souls grow. And we will be forever grateful and never for a single day take it for granted that we get to put those two little people first because of this profession and our company. And so we're going we're gonna to stay real involved in their lives and get them through high school and then off to good colleges, please, God. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Romy, I know this uh, it has been highly educational for people everywhere listening. And one of the cool things I love about these kind of interviews is, you know, like you and I and Kimmy and, and probably a lot of leaders on this call have done throughout our careers, you know, sometimes we're list, listening to an interview like this. Sometimes we may listen to it in our car or while we're working out, you know, a dozen times. And what's fascinating is you hear something different every time you listen to it, and especially if there's some time in between when you listen to it because as you evolve, you hear totally different lessons but, you know, sometimes people will be, I think people will be listening to this particular interview and some of the other heroes calls, you know, 10, 20 years from now. And the ripple effect that your story is going to have, I mean, after every one of these calls, we we get feedback from people about how just the way you said it and who you were and where you came from and what you did it, what you did, just changed everything for somebody. And so I greatly appreciate your investment in this hour and you candidly and passionately telling your story because it's going to make a difference for people tonight and for a long time. The ripple effect uh, is huge. So that's a wrap. We're right at 7 o'clock. Give my love to John, and I'll see you down the road somewhere. Thank you very much, Romy. Looking forward to it. Love you, buddy. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Richard Bliss Brooks Network Marketing Heroes Podcast. For more invaluable training tools such as audios, videos, and of course his best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, head to blissbusiness.com. For 10% off your order, use discount code HERO at checkout. If you're serious about building your business, make sure to subscribe to Richard's blog for all the latest tools and articles. 